Morning. Morning. Well, my name is Nate. Uh, I serve as the creative director here at Res. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you, you preach a message, you kind of want to find like these personal illustrations or stories to kind of, you know, break the ice and lead people into the message, you know, the, introduce the human element. I was like, man, I don't have a, a good illustration to start off with. And there I was backstage. I'm waiting and I hear this uh, scratching noise, like, shh, shh, I'm like, what the heck? What is that? What is that? So I look and we have a speaker back there that, you know, so you can hear what, what's going on with worship and stuff. So you know, you know when to come out. And I listen to him, like, no, it's not. It sounds like static, but it's not. I keep hearing it, shh. And then I look down in the garbage and there's a mouse in there (laughs) and he's trying to get out. And um, I really don't like mice or rats or animals, you know, so I, but I, I, this is like, there's been little uh, poopies everywhere. So this is the guy probably. So I have a chance to be the hero and, and he's trapped so to get him out. So I gotta do this, Nate. I gotta do it. It's for the for the church, okay? And so I go, I get no joke, I get close, and he and he jumps out of the trash can. Okay? And in life. Here comes the biblical you know what the biblical principle I learned from this? It's just like amazing. There isn't one. I need you to be worried, because there we his whereabouts are unknown, okay? So this, this is a warning that there is a small mouse about yay big who is on the loose. So anyways, I'm kicking off a uh, three-week series called 100. And uh, for some reason, Daniel has selected me to start us in this. And uh, we're going to be going through the next three weeks. We're going to talk about what it means to give God 100% of my heart what it means to give him 100% of my relationships and 100% of my choices. And this morning, I get to kick us off and talk about what it means to give God 100% of my heart. Uh, if you have your Bible, uh, we're gonna be in uh, the book of Luke chapter 14, primarily, and then we're also gonna be in John chapter six. We're gonna be talking about a lot about the uh, feeding of the 5,000. And uh, when I was backstage, I, I found this. Um, this is something that my son Bishop made in, uh, in his little class, and it's all the fishes and loaves. And they're all painted, uh, they're all colored green for Hulk. So he's learning the principles. But uh, primarily what we're gonna talk about today is moving from intimacy or moving from proximity, proximity to, I'm still shaken by the mouse. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot to move from proximity to intimacy. And that's primarily what we're gonna be talking about today. Uh, But let's jump in, let's let's jump in and we'll jump right into Luke 14. We'll start in verse 25. We're gonna read a lot of scripture today. And uh, so bear with me. Uh, Verse 25, now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and and wife, his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not sit, first sit down and count the cost, 
whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Some light reading this morning. Jesus says to hate your family just in time for the holidays. <laughs> not really, and we'll get to that. But, but Jesus does have this way of thinning out the crowds. If you notice, uh, he would start to gather a large following, and then he would, bam, he would turn around and say something like, hate your mom and dad. And they're like, what? Or, uh, drink my blood, eat my flesh. And constantly catching them off guard, thinning out the crowd, um, and always reminding us of who he really is and what it means to follow him. And always reminding the crowd, reminding us to count the cost. Now these teachings are hard. There's no way around it. This text is hard. Uh, to understand and, and to accept. Uh, but on the flip side, this is also an invitation. This is an invitation to move from proximity to intimacy. And uh, there's a couple questions we need to ask ourselves uh, when we're in the crowd and we are gonna follow Jesus. There's a couple things that we need to ask ourselves. One, we need to consider the value and we need to ask ourselves, what's the prize? What's the prize? Number two, we need to count the cost and ask ourselves, What's the price? What's it gonna cost? So number one, consider the value. What's the price? During Jesus' ministry, uh, he had a lot of people in his proximity, but very few that were interested in intimacy. For us in America, we have a lot of proximity to Christianity. Uh, there's a church on every corner. Uh, if you've been to the South, there literally is a church on every corner. Churches all over the place. Uh, we have Christian television. It's really good. We have Christian movies. Uh, we have Christian stores. How many of you have ever been to Hobby Lobby? If you're a true disciple, you shop at Hobby Lobby. Okay, so you know when you go to Hobby Lobby and you hear like the music? It's like elevator music. So imagine going in there and hearing your band's music, but elevator version. So they've basically taken your song and made it really bad. Uh, that's my experience sometimes when I go to Hobby Lobby, but I still love it. It's Christian crafts. It's the best. Uh, we have Christian food. What's the Christian food? Chick-fil-A. Yeah, Chick-fil-A. Okay. <laughs> we have Christian stuff. We have a close proximity to Christianity. But the problem is, how many times, how many of us confuse proximity for intimacy? We're just around it all the time, Right? So maybe we take it for granted and we confuse that with actually being a disciple of Christ and following Jesus just because we eat a chicken sandwich and chop, shop at the you know, Christian craft store. Those are good things, by the way. Um, before we get into this, though, I want to I address the uh, hate your mother and father thing. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel, uh, for giving me this one. Um, it, you know, uh, Jesus, when he, he taught, he used a lot, of, a lot of hyperbolic language. So he used a lot of hyperbole. So you, have you ever heard the phrase, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse? Yeah. So I, you know, I've 
um, I've never eaten a horse. I don't know if anyone's sat and eaten a whole horse before. Had a guy come up to me afterwards. He's like, you know, people do eat horses. I was like, yeah, it's gross, but yeah, I believe it. You don't eat a whole horse because you're hungry, okay? Uh, what about the, the phrase uh, you say to your kid, you know, I must have told you a million times. You probably didn't tell them a million times, literally. Uh, sometimes I feel like I tell Bishop to put that down literally a million times, but it's probably not. It's probably like 3,000 or something like that. But this is hyperbolic language. So what Jesus is saying here is he's simply using that language to show the vast chasm between what it means to love your family or the things that you really care about and to love him. The love you have for Jesus will make this love look like hate because of the difference. Make sense? So he's not saying to break the fifth commandment and hate your mother and father. It would be a contradiction. Um, He even talks about, you know, if you have faith of a, a mustard seed, he says the mustard seed is the smallest of seeds. It's not. They're smaller seeds. But he's saying it's the smallest of seeds. Like, it's really small to use hyperbolic language. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And then it kind of goes in with his you know, his, his teachings. He says some hard things and he says it sometimes in a, a very um, hyperbolic way to, to get his point across. So sorry to say when you go to Thanksgiving in a couple weeks, you have to love your family. I know. <clears throat> but there are several reasons that the crowds will settle for proximity and not intimacy. There's several reasons that we will settle for proximity and not intimacy. Um, because there's a few things that we would like to be around and maybe some things that we want to obtain for ourselves. I have five things here um, that I was able to pull out of the text. Uh, You know, the crowds were following Jesus for five things. Uh, Number one, power. Number two, provision. Number three, position. Number four, popularity. And number five, possessions. Yes, they all start with a P. Yeah, dude. (laughs) I'm a good good Baptist now. But when we find ourselves in the crowd, we must evaluate and ask the question, what is my prize? So let's look at number one, power. During Jesus' ministry, uh, he performed, well, there's recorded over 30 miracles, but it also says that there's a lot more that weren't recorded. So a lot of miracles in, three, in his three years of ministry. A few of them were he turned water into wine in John 2. You're definitely going to get people to follow you because you could do that. Uh, he cast out unclean spirit in Mark 1. He healed a leper in Mark chapter 1. He raised a widow's son from the dead in Luke 7. He stilled a storm in Matthew 8. He cured a man of dropsy in Luke 14. And Jesus feeds the 5,000 in John 6, which is a cool story that we're actually going to look into a bit more. So we're going to pick it up in John 6 here. We're going to be in this for a little bit. Uh, Verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So people are following him because he's healing the sick. Um, It is not wrong to want healing. Let me just say that. I'm going to say a lot of things today, but what I'm not saying is that the opposite of them is, is bad. Like, healing is good, and Jesus can heal, and he does heal, and if you're sick or you have someone who needs healing, you should definitely pray for that and ask God for that. He can definitely heal, but that's not the focus, because if it is, you will be disappointed at some point in your life. Um, but we like to be around stuff like that. Like we like to see, who doesn't want to see a miracle? I want to see a miracle. I want to see someone raised from the dead. It might freak me out. I mean, it will freak me out, but it'd be a miracle, right? It'd be kind of cool. Uh, it'd be great. Um, when I was uh, going to school, I was in a Christian school, so we had 
these guys come out to the school and they were called the power team. <laughs> the power team. If you don't know what that is, I'll break it down for you. It's a bunch of really buff dudes in matching track suits with mullets. And they would come in and they, you know, they'd be like, I'm gonna bend this bar with my teeth. And they would do it. Or they would roll a frying pan. It's like a waste of a frying pan. But they'd roll a frying pan, break ice, do all that kind of cool stuff. And it was fun to watch because you're like, that's, that's not possible. You can't do that. And he's like, check it out. And he rolls a frying pan and he, or he like breaks a big chain. And then he says, just as I have broken this chain, Christ will break your chains of sin. And little Nate's like, I believe. I believe. <laughs> That's what they used to bring people in and then they would you know, give them the gospel and it was cool. Um, but on the flip side, sometimes you don't get your miracle. Um, my dad was really sick and we had people praying and, uh, you know, pastors who, you know, they're supposed to be closer to God, right? So he can hear them better. Uh, they prayed and did not get healed. Dad died. Um, not a good time for me, but it, uh, it really caused me to ask the question, what's my prize here? Cause I didn't get my miracle. You know, I just, I didn't. So what's my prize? Power, being around power. Wanting that power is not the prize. Um, if you don't know, I came from a, a background of uh, more charismatic and um, you know, healings and all kinds of stuff. And um, not gonna go into it too much, but there is, there is, a, there is a business of selling uh, the gifts of God. It's a thing. I got an email two days ago. I signed up for this email list so I can do research from this specific uh, ministry. And they basically they have a... Um, a uh, class that you can pay for and they will teach you the gift of healing. I'm not making this up. I debated whether showing you the screenshot and just blurring out the name, but it's not important. It's $150 though. And you can learn how to use the gift of healing and then actually get someone to lay hands on you and part you with the gift of healing. That's real. It's happening right now. I got the email. <laughs> okay. And I signed up. Uh, but um, this happened in Jesus's day. Simon the sorcerer, you know the story? Have you heard of this guy? So Simon the sorcerer, um, he was actually doing magic and doing things and wowing the crowd before he knew God. Uh, before he met Jesus, he was doing these things. Side note on that, just because you can do miracles doesn't mean you're from God, okay? Don't be wowed by that stuff. Look at the fruit. So uh, he met Jesus and... Uh, he saw the disciples would lay hands on people and, and they could you know, heal and do all these things and he wanted that power so he actually offered to buy it. And <laughs> I'm not gonna read the whole thing but let's just say uh, he was not gently rebuked um, because he tried to buy, buy the power. He wanted the power. That's not the price. Number two, let's just move on. Number two, provision. Uh, so we've established at this point the crowd has uh, been following Jesus based on miracles in this story, uh, the things that they had seen. But now, now they're getting hungry, okay? And so we go on to talk about the feeding of the 5,000, which actually was closer probably to feeding of the 15,000. Um, if you count women and children, there's probably about 15,000 people there. So he fed them with, with uh, this right here, the, the loaves and the fishes, five loaves, two fishes. It's a miracle. Uh, can't believe it. I've never seen, have you guys ever seen something like that before? I've never seen that. Okay. Sounds pretty awesome. So 
He feeds the 5,000, but um, the people who witnessed this, they kind of took something else away from it. So we're gonna keep reading through this story. We're gonna look at John, 6, uh, John chapter six, verse 25 here. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. But do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So now they're following him because they got fed. They like the bread. You guys like the bread? We like the bread, Jesus. You like the bread, huh? All right. Well, check it out. He keeps going. He says to them, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, that, uh, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? He said, the, what work do you perform? And he says, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness that is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So they like the bread. And he says, I got better bread. And they're like, garlic bread? Is it garlic manna? Because, give, sir, give us this bread always. It's like when you go to uh, Texas Roadhouse. You guys ever been to Texas Roadhouse? I don't go there anymore. I've been asked not to come back. But they should really consider calling it Texas Roll House because that's, that's what we care about. Okay, let's be frank. The rolls, they're good. I like that bread. Give, give me that bread always. And Jesus said, that's not the bread. I'm the bread. Look at me. I'm the bread now. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that, uh, but I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who has sent me. And this is tr- this is the true will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up in the last day. So the Jews hearing this, it says, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? And how does he now say I have come down from heaven? Essentially they're saying, this is Jesus from the block. I know his (laughs) parents. He's still Jesus from the block. I've seen his parents, and now he's saying he came from heaven? Uh, They're grumbling. He says, do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, and not to anyone who's seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. So essentially he's saying... You like the bread, I got better bread, it's not garlic, it's me. I'm sent from heaven, and they grumbled. Uh, you know, power, the displays of, of what God can do, uh, we forget those. Jesus did a lot of miracles in, right in front of people and they still walked away. Well, what makes me think that I wouldn't? You know, and those things go away and, and 
You can also be fed. That's good. We should feed. Um, but then you get hungry again. If you're like me, you get hungry again in like 25 minutes. So um, our memories get fuzzy and our stomachs will ache again. These things are not the prize. But you know what will never let us down? What is it? What is it? Jesus. No. Jesus. No. It's politics. Politics will never <laughs> let us down. It's one thing I learned. You can always count on politics. <laughs> Number three, position. <laughs> yeah, John 6, verse 12. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Okay. It's like, this guy's a prophet. He's the real deal. Let's grab him and make him king. And, and Jesus knew they were going to do that, so he withdrew to the mountain by himself. This doesn't sound like us at all. We don't do this. so we don't, I could probably just skip this part, but let's just talk about it anyways. Uh, figures, and, and we always want to make someone our king, right? We want someone to fight for us and, and to conquer so we are on the winning side. The crowd thought that he was actually going to go to Jerusalem to take over and to overthrow the Roman government. They wanted to be in the winning crowd. Who doesn't want to be in the winning crowd on the winning side? What they didn't realize, though, is that he was going to Jerusalem to die. So like the exact opposite. He wasn't going to rule and overthrow the government and, and end their suffering. He was going to die. The crowds wanted Jesus to be king, but it was not his time. We can't hang our hats on position. Number four, popularity. Uh, Jesus, you know, he, uh, he not only attracted, but he sought out the outcast. If you look at his earthly ministry, he was always um, healing people when he wasn't supposed to, in front of people that were watching him and getting ready to bust him, and he would do it anyways. Uh, he sought the outcast. It wasn't the religious that were drawn to Jesus. It was always the outcast. You know, the only reason they hung out with him, they wanted to catch him doing stuff. Right? They would kind of uh, set him up. They wanted to catch him so they could be like, ah, gotcha. Um, but he would still do things like he healed on the Sabbath and uh, healed the man of dropsy on the Sabbath. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> You're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath, bud. You know what's interesting about that story? I'm not going to read it, but just I, during study, it was really cool. Uh, I read that. So he goes to um, Pharisee's house for dinner and they're all reclining. So there's a lot of Pharisees there. And this particular guy was like a, a super Pharisee, you know, he was like up there and Jesus goes to, uh, to have lunch with them or eat with them and a guy with dropsy comes by because in public you could just, you know, you could maybe walk by the house or you could see what was going on and we don't really know but some, some of the uh, commentaries I read is they think that they set him up to come by. They asked him to come walk by, Jesus will be here because they wanted to catch him healing on the Sabbath so this guy had dropsy, which sounds like, it's like um, gooey or something. It's, yeah. And he heals him in front of him. And they're like, ha, you healed on the Sabbath. And he's like, well, you know, if you had a son that needed to be healed, would you not do it on the Sabbath? 
They're like, are you done eating? Can you or leave? You know, basically essentially saying you have these rules and these extra things that you're putting on top of and you're missing the point. A guy needs to be healed. I'm going to heal him. I don't care what day it is. They did not like that. <laughs> did not enjoy that. We look at the story of the leopard in Luke 5, verse 12 through 16. It says this, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing and as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So a person has leprosy, they're unclean. If you touch them, you are also unclean. So Jesus touches him, okay? He knew what that meant. He touched him, he healed him, so they're clean. And then he also said, pretty cool, right? Um, promotion team, did you get that on camera? Let's post that to Insta. I think that's gonna really show people how Christ-like I am. But he, let's post that on Facebook um, so people know what's up. No, he didn't do that. He said, like, don't tell anyone, okay? Just don't tell anyone. He must have, or someone heard, but somehow the word got out and people are starting to gather to him because they, you know, they want to be healed as well. Nothing wrong with that, but interestingly, when the crowd gathers, he withdraws again. Are you seeing a pattern here? Every time a crowd gathers for something like that, specifically, he's like, ugh, gotta get out of here, because they just want that proximity. Uh, maybe they're not interested in intimacy. Maybe they want something from Jesus and not Jesus himself. The tax collector, for example. Now, healing a person who's sick, we would all agree, like, that's a great thing, right? We would, dude, if there's someone sick, there's not, I don't think there'll be a person who's like, no, don't heal the sick, whatever, let them suffer. We'd all be good with that. But what about if it's someone that we really don't like altogether? Like maybe someone like a tax collector. We could all agree, like, Jesus, maybe skip that one. <laughs> Just skip this guy. In Luke 5, verse 27 it says, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in, in, the, in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. A lot of tax collectors here. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Jesus, uh, he does a lot, of, he subverts a lot of expectations. And he often finds himself in, in situations where he um, overrides what we think he should do. Heal the leper, that's fine. But don't hang out with the tax collector because we all don't like that guy. And Jesus said, I'm gonna go to lunch with him. And not only does he do that, he does it in the company of Pharisees. I thought it was funny that the Pharisees, they don't tell Jesus, like, why are you there? Like, tell his disciples, why are you hanging out with sinners? And he probably hears them because he's God. And he's like, uh, I'm not here for the well, I'm here for the sick. Take it a step further. 
a couple years ago, before we merged, I was at church, and um, uh, you know, Facebook is a great place to like work out differences. You know, I always find that <laughs> I always find that if you got a problem with someone, dude, post it on Facebook. And it, you'll go have a nice back and forth retort and you'll come to an agreement and you guys will be best friends. It works out like that. So that happened, okay? And with two people in our church, one of the guys I knew, one I didn't. So the one I did know came to me and said, dude, did you see Facebook? I'm like, yeah, I did. Uh, he's like, yeah, that guy is a racist. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I don't know, I don't know him. He's like, yeah, he's racist, bro. He's like, and I was like, okay, that's cool. And he's like, you want racists in your church? And I said, yeah, don't you? He said, no, I'm like, why not? Because they're racist. Like, oh, that's right. So a person who has a sin, who is sinning, you don't want them to hear the gospel? You don't want them in your community? You don't want them at church? And he's like, no. Like, okay, cool. Should we get rid of the adulterers? You didn't, man. Well, should we get rid of the thieves? Should we get rid of the liars? Should we get rid of me? Because I do a lot of those things. Depending on what day you catch me on, it might have not a, not a nice Nate. I'm human. I sin. We all sin. But somehow we get to pick and choose which sins are acceptable to receive grace. Um... So he left the church, but, you know, uh, <clears throat> in that moment, I wasn't the most popular for doing that, but it really struck me that I was trying to imagine someone coming to Jesus and say, don't hang out with that person because that's a sin I really dislike. Mine's cool. Mine's good. Mine's not as bad as theirs. You never notice that we're cool with, we always want to have a boogeyman. We all know that we're sinners, right? We all know we do bad things. I do, let's just talk about me. I do a lot of bad things, bad thoughts, all kinds of bad stuff. But as long as there's someone that's worse than me, I'm good. If Jesus goes to that person, I start to get intimidated. It's like, no, you, what, what if he repents? Then I'm the worst. <laughs> it's not always gonna make you popular, <laughs> you know? But popularity is not the price. It's not the price. Number five, possessions, stuff. Uh, the story of the prodigal son, while I was studying for this, uh, I heard a, a pastor say, he said, I don't really like that name. I think it should be called the prodigal of the perfect father. Oh yeah, that's cool, I like that. The prodigal son, if you don't know the story, uh, essentially went to his dad and said, hey, I would like my inheritance now, which basically means I wish you were dead. <laughs> yeah, essentially, I wish you were dead, dad. And the dad's like, cool. Um, and it gives him his inheritance, and he goes and he squanders it. He lives it up. He does all the things you do in the world, whatever that is, all the bad stuff. Uh, buys things, does things, all kinds of stuff. He finds himself in the dirt at the end, realizing, I had this money, now it's gone. I had these friends, and now they're gone. He finds himself at the bottom and says, this is not the prize, man. This is not the prize. My dad was the prize. So he goes home. The dad meets him. You know the story. It's, he welcomes him back. He actually runs to him instead of waiting for him, which is another cool part of the story. Jesus will come to us. Uh, he goes and he, and he accepts him back because um, he knows that, yeah, my son lived it up. He, cho he chased those possessions, but he's repentant and he comes home. 
He's not going to ask him, did you have anything left? What'd you buy? What'd you, what'd you spend it on? Where's my money? He says, no, I'm glad you're back, dude. Let's, let's have a party. Here's a ring. Here's a robe, all the stuff. Understanding that possession is not the prize. Now for me, full disclosure, full transparency, um, this one uh, kind of hits a little differently for me, given my background. Um, I have been in kind of a prosperity gospel culture, uh, and that was kind of my early introduction to Christianity. Let me just tell you, uh, that stuff's fake. <laughs> I mean, if you have to put any qualifier or a different word in front of gospel, it's not the gospel anymore. Gospel is gospel. It doesn't need your qualifier, social justice, prosperity. It doesn't need any of those. It's the gospel. We try to compartmentalize it. Um, but for me, that, I, I saw the effects of that. And it was, it, even for myself, it was just, um, it was a lot. And trying to, to follow Jesus for possessions, sometimes you might get those possessions. And we see a lot of people like, you know, uh, maybe big prosperity preachers that have jets and houses. And we think, well, God's really blessing him. Just want to pose a question. What if that's it? What if that's judgment? Because God talks a lot about heavenly um, possessions. He talks about heavenly wealth, right? That means stuff that's not on this side of, of heaven when you're alive. Almost as if it's one or the other sometimes. What if that's the judgment? I found for me in my life, you know, uh, a lot of times we've been poor and all these different kind of things, and, and uh, it was good for me, not having all the stuff that I wanted. Uh, that was, in my case, I think God showing me uh, mercy. Because it could have been, I got that stuff and I'm content with it, and I still think I'm following Jesus because I went to Chick-fil-A and supported the Christian company, but I had all the stuff. And Jesus is like, no, son, this is not for you. Follow me. I'm not saying those things are bad. Don't hear that. I'm not saying if you have a lot of money, you're a bad person. I don't believe that at all. I just think it just depends where that position is in your heart. Because the prize is, spoiler alert, Jesus. Okay? Our memories will get fuzzy. Our stomachs will ache again. Our politicians will fail us. Our popularity may go away, and our possessions do not last. Jesus is the prize. Probably the best illustration I had of this growing up <clears throat> was when I was about one and a half. My sister was a couple years older than me. Uh, my dad was a pretty bad alcoholic, and um, we, we weren't, financially, we, weren't, we didn't have a lot of money, basically. So, um, and he was really not into the God thing. And he was getting frustrated with my mom being about the God thing. And so he finally gave her an ultimatum and said, hey, this is going to be me or God in this house. And she's like, bye. Uh, yeah. She kicked him out. Um, as a stay-at-home mom with two little babies. Uh, so he left. Uh, we had to go in with my uncle because we could, she couldn't afford to support us. I was one and a half. My sister was like four. So... Um, such a great example of counting the cost and, cho and choosing Jesus as the prize. Um, and thank God, literally, thanks, uh, my dad got sober, came back, they stayed married until he passed, never touched a drink again, and I'm super thankful for that. But um, I think a lot of it was just because my mom drew a line in the sand. 
no, God's the prize. She had nothing to gain from that at all, at all. No power, no possessions. She had everything to lose here by doing that. And uh, she did it anyways. She had to seriously count the cost. For us, we need to count the cost. We need to ask, what's the price? I found this quote from Henry Drummond. I found it sums up things pretty well. He says, the entrance fee into the kingdom of heaven is nothing. The annual subscription is everything. Yeah. Mm. I was like, whoa. That was good. Sums it up really well. Those are my brains. The cost is denying self, carrying the cross and putting Jesus in a place of preeminence. Now, in the spirit of keeping it 100, uh, keeping it a buck, basically means keeping it honest with you if you don't, if you don't know. The kids say that sometimes, keep it 100. I um, feel kind of like a fraud preaching this message because I don't love God with 100% of my heart. So if someone asked me, do you love God with 100%? I'm like, no, I don't. Um, but I want to. And I believe I'm on that path of discipleship to get there, probably won't, well, I'm not gonna get there in this life, but that's where I'm headed. And it's important to remember that uh, in the discipleship process, you know. We're all on different places on that journey. Uh, you know, I, let's say this is life, right? Okay, this is God, this is not God, okay? And a lot of us, maybe I started here, I had a Christian family, I had a, two parents in my house, uh, all that stuff. So that set me off in a pretty good start. I'll have some friends that started back here that didn't have a mom and had an abusive father and didn't have God in the household, okay? So I should give a little grace that when we're running this race that maybe he's not up here where I am or where you're at, okay? Um, And if you're back here, keep going, yeah. You started back here, but that's okay. Um, I think as a church, we, not saying us as a church, but yes, but like big capital C church, we need to exercise some more grace when we see things, you know, people get saved. Like uh, Kat Von D recently got uh, baptized. Um, yeah, uh, she's a tattoo artist. I, I watched her show. Um, I used to tattoo as well. Sorry. <laughs> um, <clears throat> that's how I put Rachel that helped us when she was in college. And people would come over and I would tattoo them up. I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> uh, but I really liked her and she's a really good artist. And she, she got baptized and she posted it online because um, baptism's a public confession, okay? But people got on her about, you're doing it for publicity. It's literally, it's literally public. <laughs> I'm literally a public person, you know? I want, she's not ashamed, which I think is rad. And she did an interview and... Uh, you know, people are asking her about the comments and she's like, you know, the, weirdly the most hateful comments I get are from Christians. Um, not from people in the occult or atheists or any of that stuff, it's Christians. Dang, dude, come on. Um, because she doesn't look a certain way they think she should or this or that. And you know, granted, you know, she wears all black and has tattoos. She's obviously evil, you know? <laughs> it's like, come on girl, try some color. evil. But she, that's just who she is. It's what she likes. That's what I like, okay? Uh, You know, and um, we forget that when someone's born again, when you're born again, what are you? You're a baby. What do babies know? 
nothing. Not to offend the babies out there, (laughs) but they know nothing. So we're like, I'm so glad she's born again, but she needs to figure it out, dude. Change your clothes. Like, what the heck? Um, Very not how I imagined Jesus would address that situation at all. You know, I, you know, it's weird, but I think Jesus really, really, what I, what I learned by, by studying and watching, he likes those people a lot. You know why? Because she lived a life of, I tried drugs, tried alcohol, tried all this weird mystical magic stuff, all this, and she basically came to realization, it's nothing. This is not the prize. I think Jesus is like, yep, she gets it. Hey, she gets it, dude. She gets it. Because the religious think, well, I didn't drink so I deserve this, and on top of it, I'm gonna add extra rules to be really holy. She has no concept of that. Jesus always told those guys, dude, you don't get it, okay? And he didn't do that because he hated them. He loves them, but he knew that's how he had to get through to them. No, you don't get it. This person gets it, but she's been, she's been laying with the pigs in the dirt. She gets it. When she comes home, I'm gonna run to her. She gets it. It'd be cool if we thought that way. You know, in the crowds following Jesus, in his proximity, uh, there were people following him for all sorts of reasons. Um, And as we move from proximity to intimacy, we must ask ourselves these questions. Am I pursuing anything other than Jesus? Am I looking for power? What he can do? Cool magic tricks I can learn? Looking for provision? a sandwich, someone to meet my needs. That's good, but you'll get hungry again. Am I looking for position? I wanna use Jesus to further my political career. Um, Four, popularity, five possessions. Am I following Jesus because I believe that he will you know, bless my seed harvest and give me, multiply my, uh, you know, my offering? Am I looking for stuff? As it says in Mark 8, 36, it says, for what does it profit a man to gain the world the whole world, and forfeit his soul. So here it is. Jesus is the prize, okay? In him there is unconditional love. There's forgiveness of sins, and there's a promise of eternal life. Apart from that, I don't know if there's a whole lot more he promises us, but that is enough. It's more than enough. The things that we uh, really want over here, uh, compared to Jesus, these are worthless, because of the chasm. You know, much like when he's talking about the love that you have for your family compared to me will look like hate. He's showing you how drastic these are. It's hard for us to see because we don't, you know, it's not the world we live in. We live in this world where stuff is good. Um, but he's constantly reminding us, no, that's not the prize. It's not a bad thing, like I said. I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing to be rich and whatever, that's cool. If you have extra money, you could find me afterwards and give me some money and stuff. But it's not a bad thing. It's just about the position of your heart. Is that your prize? Um, We're gonna sing one more song together and uh, as we close, and I wanna invite the prayer team up. And if you need prayer for anything or if you're hearing about this maybe for the first time and the Jesus thing, what is that? uh, And you have questions, we'd love to talk to you more about that. Whatever you need, we're here, we're available. Um, I'm gonna pray for us, and then I wanna read a passage in John 6 to close us out. Cool, so let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. I pray that you would continue to call us to intimacy uh, and not just proximity, God. Um, Draw us closer to you and um, 
continue to disciple us. Let us have grace on those maybe who aren't where we think they should be. Um, and, and maybe we can help them, uh, approach them with grace. Father, continue to grow us in you and uh, what a blessing this church is, God. And I pray that you continue to bless this body. Uh, we love you, amen. I'm gonna read this uh, in John 6, verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense to this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. As for Jesus knew from the beginning that uh, who, who those were that did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you wanna go away as well? And Simon Peter said, Lord, whom else shall we go? Where are we gonna go? There's nowhere else. You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God.